Hey, this is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Hello, hello, gentlemen. What's going on? What is up? Uh, me barely. I'm, Just I'm, loving that quarantine life. I'm sitting upright. That's that's the most I can do today. I'm speaking coherently. Uh, speaking coherently, nicely. We'll see how long that lasts. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always a good thing. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're hanging in there. Sort of living the dream. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> living the dream. It's a dream, all right. <laughs> It's an introvert's dream. dream. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're even starting to freak out now. <laughs> yeah. I it's kind of a night it's kind of a nightmare. I mean a little bit. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. I but on the say... other hand, my garden has never been more well attended to. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes, my green space is getting pretty amazing. Um, yeah, that is for sure. All, but all the things that I was like, well, I'm going to read books and I'm going to finish the book I'm writing and I'm going to catch up on all these things. Nope, that has not happened at all. Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm finding about all these things. I'm finding that I always made the excuse. I don't have time. I'm finding out now it's real. Time isn't really the excuse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Yep, <clears throat> Exactly. I have to say that I um, started venturing out recently with my mask on, and uh, our total wine here, Matt, d- did a really good job of being set up properly, and everybody has masks on. They have it all taped off. and As I have to give it to them that they are at least doing what they can. Finally. As much as I, you know, there's certain things that I don't agree with, obviously, but, you know, they're they're doing what they can, so... It's an improvement. It took a while for it, it to happen here. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we just got in our Walmart here. They just finally started limiting the amount of people inside, like just a couple of days ago. Yeah, <laughs> like, we're all figuring this out. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, for a state where I live, which has been publicly and in the news as being a little bit more lax than most states or at least some of the states out there. Um, I like to think that at least the total wines down here were a little bit ahead of the game as far as that goes, just because they were doing their own thing before everything happened. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, before yeah. the, the laxness kind of came out. Um, now, but, uh, given the demographics of Florida, I would think that they'd be, you know, leading the, leading the charge with all these. But I don't uh, think they're the demographic. I don't think the demographic is New York retirees anymore. I think Florida has been populated with its own spawns for too long. Well, at least in Small this, spawns. this is this is old number. I don't know how current these numbers are, but because I've been, you know, for personal reasons, you know, kind of weaning off social media a little bit. Mm. But, you know, Palm Beach County, where I live, you know, has a higher number of those retirees. And the number of cases wasn't that high, but the number of deaths, unfortunately, was one of the higher counties. So per, you know, death ratio per case or whatever, um, there was a a large number there, or I should say a smaller. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I think once you get into the middle of the state, that's when you see, you know how everybody's always like, 
what happens in Florida? Because there's always these ridiculous news. Yeah, because you have those rural. That's counties. all the middle yeah. of the state. That's, yeah. the scary, that's the scary part of yeah. Florida. A gator you don't want to go inland too far. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the swamp peoples. That's where they're skinning gators. You know. Yeah. That's where you look up. Uh, was it you're supposed to look up a Florida man and see where that gets you? <laughs> yeah. Yes, which which everyone automatically just paints that broad brush for everyone that right. lives in Florida. <laughs> When they when you know Southeast Florida and Central Florida couldn't be any more different. You yeah, know? they're so different. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, different. any more different. It's like New York City and rural New York. I mean, you've got you go up to you know where my dad's side is in upstate New York, and you would yeah. have no idea it's the same state. Yeah, or I would I make the all. I make the analogy of like you know New York. Um, or, you know, city New York and then like Bayou of Alabama, you know, kind of like that. <laughs> Those yes. really far yes, on the, on the uh, spectrum. Yeah. So it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Well, tonight we're here to party. Apparently. And uh, we're going to party like it's 1999. Or episode 99. <gasps> what? That's right. We, it's episode 99. It is. This is our will be our 99th regular episode. And um, just so everybody knows ahead of time, we will be doing something quite different for the next couple episodes in celebration of number 100. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. And maybe tonight I can try and say fuck 99 times to celebrate our 99th episode. <laughs> That's one. That's hey, one. Maybe we maybe that's we fun. should have covered Nina instead tonight. The fuck are you talking about, Ed? I mean, you know, ninety nine red balloons. I know. Uh, that was like fuck the one hit wonder. <laughs> how, many, how many am I up to now? But you know what? We decided. I'm Two. sorry, Nina. Nina, <laughs> we couldn't do we couldn't do it. But instead, tonight we'll be discussing the one, the only Prince. I would give my I'm, I'm, I'm I would give my left this. I would give my left pinky to for it to be 2000 again or 1999. Oh my gosh. <laughs> With what's going on the now. over the year 2000. Yeah. Oh yes. I oh my god, I was working in tech at the time. So I remember it very very well. That was ridiculous. <laughs> I would not want to go back to 1999, but that's okay. I'm happy where we I guess where we are. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, as maybe I was under different that, like, circumstances. Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm weighing 99 nervous. versus 2020. So I know. I gotcha. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I've been nervous about doing this episode for a long time. Um, just like I've, I have a similar feeling like when we decided to tackle Bowie, which was really hard to keep my shit together. Um, We've been talking about doing Prince forever and just haven't felt ready to tackle it yet. So this is either going to be really fun or I'm going to cry a lot. So we'll see. It's going to we're going to make it fun. All right. It's going to be fun. And we are, as normal, going to be doing an album battle. 
And the two albums we decided to pit against each other are two of probably his most uh, well-known albums. 1982's album 1999, which you just heard a little clip out of, and 1984's album Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. This is just... Who who came up with this idea? I mean, were there any two others that we would have battled? I mean, come on. <laughs> this is going to be yeah. This is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a really tough one. Um. Well, let's. So we're going to do something a little bit different with the whiskey segment. But before we get into that, what are you guys drinking tonight in uh, celebration of the artist, formerly known as who we will call tonight Prince? <laughs> you know his maiden name. <laughs> <laughs> his maiden name. Yeah. I don't know. I no, I was looking through my collection thinking, all right, what do I have that's appropriate? And nothing really stood out to me. But I decided to grab something, um, not necessarily because it's Prince, just because I haven't drank it in a while. And it's really, um, I think people are starting to discover it more, but it's really been kind of an underdog. And this was actually my introduction to rye whiskey. And that is uh, the Jim Beam pre-prohibition style rye, which is actually um, a really nice rye at a very good price. You can find this bottle for about $20 and it drinks like rye's, you know, twice its price. Oh, nice. I have, I don't recall, I'm sure I tasted it at some point. The memory didn't stick, so maybe I didn't like it. I don't know. I'll give it a try. Give it a try again. I think you will like it. I really do. Matt, what about you? What are you drinking? Oh, well, I posted about this little darling. I guess it was yesterday. I don't know. The days are all kind of melding together right now. So, <laughs> uh, But the uh, the I.W. Harper 15 year <clears throat> oh, uh, yeah. that I so luckily stumbled upon, I uh, was glad to put out the money for it. But beautiful bottle. Um, and as I mentioned on Instagram, 86 proof when i see something like that i'm not expecting a ton out of it but and i made the analogy on instagram that it's just reminded me of going to the movies something that i miss dearly you know it has mm. all of those like you know you get the candy you get the popcorn and it has all of that butteriness to it this fan fantastic very light very approachable um but i would recommend it to anybody looking for it's about 80 bucks so Great, great stuff. Um, go ahead. Somebody. Fancy looking oh. bottle, kind of like our uh, subject bottle. matter tonight, who was always Hell a yeah. pretty fancy dresser. Yes. Snazzy. I so did I want... Was... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead Matt. Um, I was going to open up a small can of worms here, if you would allow me just two minutes. Open it, man. Open okay. it. Crap right. that puppy. And having this whiskey... And then having the whiskey I had yesterday, which was the Michter Sour Mash, kind of made me realize this. So when you're talking to somebody, whether they're a novice whiskey drinker or you know a, a more prolific whiskey drinker, I should say, when someone says, oh, this is so smooth, and they use that buzzword, I like to say smooth, what does that mean to you guys when someone says smooth? Like what's the you first know, it's thing? funny. Yeah. So I do say that about Uncle Nearest because I 
that is something, it's a big differentiator for me. And I'm not always looking for smooth. Um, for example, you know, one of my favorite bourbons, the uh, rare breed, I don't think it's smooth at all. Um, I love, but I like the heat and I like the way the heat comes to you. I prefer the heat to come. So I want to taste it first, then have the heat. But some so, whiskeys just bite you right up front. So and smooth. I don't- so smooth to you means lack of heat. W- would you say that's what you or does Not it mean approachability? Does it I would mean light bodied? No, to no, me, okay. smooth is lack of that bite. It doesn't have the okay. bite, and it it also smooth can mean it tastes much lower proof than it is, I guess, because of that lack of bite. So that's when I refer to, especially when I'm talking to newer whiskey drinkers, the uncle nearest, I say, because if they look at the proof level, they'll be like, ah, you know, both of our whiskeys are higher proof. I, they say, they're very smooth. And people say that right away. They're shocked when they see a hundred proof on that, when they drink the 1856, because it's so smooth. So for me, that's what it means. That kind of goes along with what the way I see it. I see smooth as being something that's it's a very um, easily sippable. Okay, I guess it really doesn't um, give you that that burn or that alcohol kick, which in some cases can be off putting, but in some cases I love it. Yeah, same. Um, but uh, yeah, it's because yeah, if you're gonna knock something back um, and it goes down easy without that, you know, that burn or whatever, then yeah, I would guess that's the best way I would describe as smooth so the reason i bring this up is because i was in a back and forth with a very nice gentleman at work the other day who lives and dies pretty much by michter's and it's one of those brands that i've i I haven't taken it to the woodshed but i haven't really been supportive of it uh because i think it's one of those you know no offense to anyone who likes it but to me it's one of those training wheel brands um and it's so smooth. It's so smooth. How can you say some anything bad about it or not like it? And I don't think it's smooth at all. I pr- I So for me, and I kind of said this back to him. I said, "Well, what's your definition of smooth? Do you mean tasteless?" Like if you want something tasteless, you can should drink vodka because to me, and I've had the entire core range and I've had you know, this one that I purchased, which is the Sour Mash um, US1, which I guess is not as readily available as the other ones and a little bit mm. higher price point. Mm-hmm. But I said, to me, this is it. There's nothing there that I can point to as far as like actually making tasting notes. It was just bland and tasteless to me. And he got so upset that I would say that. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, it. it's lower proof. It's and that's why, you know, with the IW Harper is lower proof the right way. Like I'm picking up so many things in that. And um, Sailor, I agree with your definition of smooth, but I think to a lot of people who get maybe stuck on one brand or they're a little bit novice, uh, I think smooth to them literally means like tasteless. Like they don't want any of that thing, those great things that make bourbon and American whiskey, American whiskey. I think they just want that buzz maybe without getting all of that, those I other components th- I, of it. I agree you know what with saying? you. I think, yeah. yeah, they're looking for really easy sippers. And for once your palate is trained, and I think we've talked about this before, like, you know, I, I, when people are like, oh, my favorite bourbon's Basil Hayden's. And I'm like, oh, it won't be in a few years. You know, <laughs> like, 
exactly. if you're doing it right, it won't That's be. That's 80 proof. Yeah. I would never say that to that, but mm. I don't, I think it's all about the flavor. I don't think it's a good, I, th- I think it's a terrible flavor. I just, I don't care for it at all. And I think there's so many other options out there for the same price readily available that kick its ass, right? And that's one of those buzz brands that everyone just totally. gets all that hot about. Angel's Envy. With Angel's yeah, Envy, I'm we've like, talked about what that is it about? Yeah. So I think that um, – I also think that people grab on to bottles like that and think they and, – and like learn about it so they know it and they don't want to be parted with that because they feel like they're knowledgeable about – whiskey because they know their favorite brands and it just it take i don't know i don't know i think it's just that's why i say not and i'm not trying to belittle anybody's taste if you like it if you like what you like good for you at least you know what you like but you come from me to me for a recommendation and you say well you know i'm dabbling in the bourbon and i drink basil hayden i drink angel's envy and i drink high west american prairie it's like oh what a weird those all have yeah they're different but they all have that to me that same sort of link where they're just light and there's not a lot of bursting flavors you know um so i'm going to give you something that's at least 100 proof because you're asking me for a recommendation that's what i'm going to recommend you know i'm not gonna i mean there's other there's other lower proof whiskeys out there that i would give them to like get them like maybe the next step up you know maybe then i don't know i think i would still try to get them like what's regular elijah craig like that's probably what 90 maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Elijah Craig. Okay. Elijah Craig's a good one. Yeah. Um. I mean, our eighteen eighty four is a ninety three. Yeah. It's full, chock full of flavor. That's another good one. Those are good second step. Yeah, them. I think you got to get them in there in increments, or if you know of a higher proof, like a one hundred, that's really, really smooth, like just really low bite. Um, and I can't think of a lot. Uh, other than say New Rift, but even earlier. New Rift has a little bit of a bite to it. It's a little, that's pretty bitey. Yeah. I think yeah. that's pretty bitey. Uh, you know, I will say that I, um, you, we know I'm not a fan of Jack Daniels at all. And, uh, just that flavor profile, it just, there's something about it. It's, it's their yeast that I don't, it's gotta be the yeast. Agreed. But I went back to the single barrel because I haven't had it in a really mm. long time. Oh, God. And Nectar of the gods right there. I So this one is 128.2. Is that the barrel proof? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Great stuff. I was shocked at... I forgot that it re- it is really good. I don't know if it's the Nectar of the gods, but um, <laughs> it's it's really, really good. Um, I, the, although I, if I drink it next to other, uh, whiskeys that are of that same proof level, I do think it's bitey. So I think you just have to find something that is smooth in that next rung of proof to give them next. I think going right to a 100 proof, unless you know, it's like really smooth, which is going to be a premium. I think it might be a little tough for them. I don't know. That's kind of what's the prohibition style, old foresters? Fifty seven percent. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like what's in the ninety range. Although they're although they're hundred proof, um their regular hundred proof. That would be a probably good one. would fit that bill. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think yeah. it would. Yeah. Yeah. I and definitely the, think so. At the price point and everything too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just had to because that whole, you know 
back and forth kind of irritated me a little bit, but <laughs> it's tough when you have customers, you know, that are, <laughs> it happens to me in tastings all the time. And I know that a lot of the times because I'm a woman, but it's also just people that are, you know, think they know everything and want to argue with you. And they're literally, you know, I got into, and, and you you have to be careful arguing because they're your customer and you can't just course, be like, listen, yeah, yeah. douchebag. It's different times. Don't now, fuck though, yourself. Right now. You're wrong. <laughs> All you can do is encourage them. Yeah, when, you, when, when you don't want people getting close to you now, it's different times. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I just, I had, this guy wanted to argue with me about mash bill versus yeast and barrel finishing for flavor. And I was like, dude, your mash bill is not where you're getting all your flavor, man. Like, and I just named all these brands. I'm like, same fucking mash bill, totally different expressions. What do you think is different about them? It's the yeast. There you go. And yeah, he still wanted to argue with me. Yeah. Such a small part of it. Yeah. He, I mean, if we're talking like a standard bourbon, I'm like, let's don't let's not have this argument because and then what do you do? You don't want to wipe the floor with them either because that's not nice. And they'll it's look like, like I an will idiot. destroy you. Yeah, totally. I'm like, come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. Um, but you can't do that. You have to be nice. All right, sailor. So I'm dying to know what's in your glass tonight. So um, I wanted to talk about a cocktail that I made shortly after Prince passed away. Um, and I made it, created it in his honor. I know I'm not the only one to make a cocktail with this name, but this is my version. So I call it the Purple Rain. And uh, I, I like to use... Uh, white rye in it, unaged rye whiskey, which I know isn't very easy to find. Um, I was working at Indian Creek Distillery at the time, so it was my go-to. I love I love a white whiskey in this, but you can use any whiskey. Um, so it's, uh, do like about an ounce and a half of your, hopefully your white whiskey. You can do white corn too if you want. Um, and then about a half ounce of creme de violet. So you get that nice purple color in there. You don't want to use more than that because it will get a little too candy tasting and mm -hmm. it's a bit, it's very floral and perfumey. So you don't, don't use more than a half ounce. Um, and then you do half ounce of lemon juice as well. And all your sweet is inside that creme de violet as well. So you don't need to add any, any other sweetening agent in here. And then, um, then you uh, want to just stir that up really well with ice and strain it into a tall, clear glass and go ahead and pour. It's going to be totally purple now. Pour your liquid into the glass over ice and then top it off. You can either use tonic water um, if you like. I like love that quinine flavor or just regular seltzer water. Um, and then you can, if you really want to get fancy, so you have this beautiful sparkling purple it's like a light purple drink. If you want to get really fancy for parties, I would add a little bit of edible glitter in there. And you have the purple rain. thought that would have, would be appropriate yes yep sang it prance all right um enough of that shit 
Let's talk about the man himself, shall we? Okay, we are going to talk about Prince Rogers Nelson, who was born on June 7th of 1958 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That is the artist formerly known as who we will refer to tonight as Prince, and he was the son of uh, jazz musicians. Um, His mother was a jazz singer, and his father was a jazz pianist and songwriter. Um. Uh, His father's stage name was Prince Rogers, and they named him after his stage name. And uh, it was their band was called the Prince Prince Rogers Trio. It turns out that uh, Prince in the early days was not fond of his name and instead wanted people to call him Skipper. Oh, my God. (laughs) Fuck. Skipper. Okay. Who goes from so much better than Prince? Oh, so much better. Yeah. Hi, I'm Skipper. I don't know. It was the early '60s. Maybe that was like maybe, yeah. Um. So it stuck through his childhood, though. Whenever I hear Skipper, I just think of that that doll. Remember that back in the day? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was Skipper and who else? It was Barbie, Ken, Skipper, and who was the other? Oh, was it? She's like Barbie's little sister or cousin, something like that, or cousin. Yeah, but then there was like Skipper had a boyfriend too, and I can't remember what his fucking name was <laughs> if anybody knows uh give us a call call into the studio i just think of gilligan i just think of gilligan's island gilligan <laughs> oh <laughs> I think of. yeah yeah um anyway all right so uh <laughs> so the first song that prince wrote on his father's piano was when he was seven years old and it was titled funk machine <laughs> So there you have it. There's a kid who's going places. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, So sadly, his parents divorced when he was 10, and that really fucked him up for a while. And I think, you know, if we've all, if you've seen the movie Purple Rain, and if you haven't, fuck you, go watch the movie. um, You know, that made a very lasting impression on him uh, personally, and I think also in his art. Um, So he had a really rough childhood after that. He didn't get along with his half brother after his mom remarried. He did get along with his stepdad, which was good, but there was a lot of fighting, and he went back and forth a lot from living with his mother to living with his father, um, and then eventually um, ended up living with a friend's family. Um, but his stepdad took Prince to see a James Brown concert when when Prince was young, and it left a huge impression on him. Huge. Which you can see there's... Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. I, I was not Oh, yeah. Um, I could totally surprised. see that. Yeah. Um, he was an athlete, you know, I think everybody sees him as this little skinny, effeminate man prancing around in heels with his buttocks, uh, hanging out of his pants. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorite outfits of his, but he played football, <laughs> he played football, basketball and baseball. Wow. And he actually did quite well. Um, but he, he was also a student at the Minnesota Dance Theater, which I guess was like connected through the public schools. And he he played varsity basketball in high school and continued to play out, uh, play basketball his whole life as an adult. So See, when, I, when I, mean, I hear that, all I can think of like is like Chappelle show, like when he's playing, <laughs> and playing basketball. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, but if he was on the varsity team, he could have like been running that circles bad, around right? everybody. Yeah. I know. So good. <laughs> That's so good. Um, amazing. Uh, <coughs> so in 1973, one of the best years in history. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, it always is. Hello. Hello. I'm right here. Um, Prince met songwriter and produce, producer Jimmy Jam. And uh, this was like a really pivotal point for him to start actually um, thinking that he could have a musical career. And this Jimmy Jan was was incredibly impressed with not only his talent, but the fact that he could play like any musical instrument and that he was very, very responsible and had a really good work ethic for his age. Um, so in 1975, two years later, so that's really 1973 is when he really started um, kind of practicing uh, his his talents and intensely like trying to write songs and and really setting himself up for what he thought what kind of career he thought he could have. So in seventy five, um, he formed a band with a, a husband of his cousin, and it was called Ninety Four East. Um, and they actually started to record tracks and Prince contributed to some songwriting and the guitar tracks and, um, it, it made it on the lo- local radio station and got some airplay. And then, uh, at the tender age of 19, Prince signed a management contract and, uh, recorded a demo tape. And uh, this demo tape of his at 19 years old (laughs) resulted in interest from three record companies. And they weren't little uh, indie labels. They were Warner Brothers Records, A&M, and Columbia. Like, oh. Um, So he finally signed with Warner Brothers. Oh, Sailor, can I interject? Just a little funny story that goes right along with what uh, you're saying there. Because uh, I remember I was watching a documentary. They were talking to his one of his original managers, probably the one you mentioned. And he said they were playing these this demo tape for these record companies. And Rick was like, who is this band? You know, what's this band you got? Gonna, and he's like, um, yeah. it's not really a band. It's just <laughs> this one kid playing all the instruments. And that just kind of blew him away. <laughs> Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, yeah. He played every single instrument, um, and did all the recording himself as well. So not only was he a talented musician, songwriter, music writer, composer, all of that, but he also could really kind of produce, um, which was incredible. And you'll see that much later in his career. Um, so what, one of the things that I find to be amazing is, So his initial contract gave him total creative control for three albums and he got to keep his publishing rights. So either that was a really savvy manager or he knew what he was doing and he was smart because I was going to say that's kind of at least at that time. And, and oh, subs- yeah, unheard subsequent of, unheard years of. unheard of. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, you've heard the horror stories of um, like um, who was it? Dan Fogarty that didn't have the rights to his music for like most of his life and you know things like that i mean terrible terrible stories like that um so at this point in his life he moves from minneapolis to sausalito california um so it's 1978 now and uh this is where he records his first album which was called for you and it was uh, recorded at record plant studios um and according to the notes 
as you mentioned, Ed, uh, he wrote, produced, arranged, composed, and played all 27 instruments on the recording. 27. 27 instruments. Damn, and, I didn't uh, know that many instruments existed. Holy yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure one of them was the glockenspiel. <laughs> the glockenspiel. <laughs> There may have been a triangle in there and a cowbell, a oh little tambourine God. action. Uh, I'd love, I, to, I'd love to find out everything he played on what, that. What, yeah. I'll look it up. I will yeah. look it up for you. Um, there was one song on there called Soft and Wet, who uh, the, the <laughs> producer co-wrote the lyrics. Um, all right. Uh, so the cost of recording this album, this, this fucking cracks me up. So again, he wrote, produced, arranged, composed, and played all the instruments. Yet the cost of recording the album was twice the initial advance. What the fuck are you spending it on? You yeah, literally those just, instruments. Like he's the guy you know that is like playing drums, singing, has the cymbals on his feet, and a piano over here. <laughs> but Come you on, know we what? don't have a glockenspiel. We don't have. Uh, but we're we're gonna we're gonna see this in the future with some of his tours where he breaks even or loses <laughs> money on some of his tours because he's so over the top with things. Oh my god! You know? that so it doesn't. It doesn't so fucking hard. It's funny, but it doesn't surprise me though. It doesn't. No. No. Yeah, considering what happened in the future. <laughs> so, um, soft and, soft and wet, uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, the song suitable for all children's ages, uh, reached number <laughs> number 12 on the Hot Soul single chart and number 92 on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, and the song Just As Long As We're Together reached number one on the Hot Soul singles charts as well. So even though it's not super high on the chart, Still, like this young kid, you know, puts this first album together and it's charting. Um, so then in 79, <clears throat> he creates a band with Andre Simone on bass, Des Dickerson on guitar, Gail Chapman, and Dr. Fink on the keyboards, and Bobby Z on drums. And we would go on to know who Dr. Fink is, of course. Oh, yeah. Always wearing so the scrubs. Yep. <laughs> so their first show was at the Capri Theater, and it was in 1979. And uh, your his label execs showed up and decided, meh, the band needs more time to develop their music. So they they weren't into it yet. Um, so then in October of 79, you know, less than a year after that uh, showcase, Prince released the album Prince. And it went to number four on the Billboard Top R&B charts and number 22 on the Billboard 200. And the record went fucking platinum. So screw you, record executives. Not bad. Suck it. Exactly, right? Yeah. So it contained two big hits at the time. Uh, One is one of my favorite songs of his. One was Why uh, You Want to Treat Me So Bad and the other I Want to Be Your Lover. I love that song. It sold over a million copies. Um reached number 11 on the billboard and number one for two weeks on the hot soul single chart, those singles that is. Um, And so the first time he would perform these songs on television was in 1980 on American bandstand. Like, dude, that is a fast, that's, this is without touring or anything like, boom, he's just, just a rocket and at this point um, he's probably what 23 at this point 22 he must maybe? yeah something like yeah. that yeah young yeah. 20s yeah he's still a so, kid yeah baby <clears throat> so in 1980 he released the album dirty mind which contained sexually explicit material oh, shit. including the song head and sister wonder what those are about uh <laughs> and this is my this is 
my favorite quote. Okay, this is fucking amazing. So someone described, this is a quote describing the album. It is a stunning, audacious algorithm of funk, new wave, R&B, and pop, fueled by grinningly salacious sex and the desire to shock. (laughs) (laughs) See, at least ZZ Top kept it like, you know, innuendos and stuff. I know, right? Oh, no, Prince was just like, nah, head, we're going for it. Nah. (laughs) Screw it. Um, so, uh, <laughs> okay, so the album was recorded. Now he has his own fucking studio. Um, it went gold, certified gold, and the single Uptown reached number five on the Billboard dance chart and five on the Hot Soul singles chart. So she's, he's a chart. He's on the charts, like, from day one. Um, and so that same year, he finally goes on tour, and he's opening for none other than Rick James. Uh, for his Rick Dave bitch for his 1980 Fire It Up tour. Oh like, can God. I just I tell you guys the best? Sto- Listen, I have the best story, and I Again, wish I'm getting I still- a Chappelle image in my head <laughs> yes. now. Yes. It, okay, so I I wish I still had it. I lost it in a move, but when Rick James died, the indie paper when now oh shit I'm forgetting it. Oh, the Phoenix in Boston. On the cover, I'm walking to work and I see it in a newspaper stand that they still have in, you know, the the box. And it's a huge picture of him on the cover and it says, I'm dead, bitch. (laughs) And I was like, yes! And I think I actually, like, screamed in the street and I'm, like, digging for change. Like, I have to have this. And I grabbed a couple of them. I'm dead, bitch! And I was just like, oh my god, that is so ballsy to do that, but also fucking amazing, and he would have loved it. Yeah. But how many people so, were like you, though? Like, I need to own that. Please. Yeah, oh, I think, I'm think i sure it sold better than, like, yeah, who knows? Oh my god, yeah. it was amazing. So, okay. Yeah. I would love to have so, been at that show. Just, oh, come just, on, right? Yeah. just Prince and Rick James? Prince opening for Rick James? Like, what the fuck? Oh my god, that would have yeah. been nuts. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. So, um, all right. So it's his fired up tour, and then uh, Ed, do you want to take it away from here? All right. So now we're getting into uh, my era, my Prince the era. The zone. I call it the Prince zone. The Prince zone. Yes, this is back going back to the uh, early mid eighties when I first uh, was introduced to Prince, and um. Back during this time, he referred he started referring to his band as the Revolution. And at this time, the band consisted of Leah Coleman, Dr. Fink, of course, on the keyboards, Bobby Z on drums, Mark Bass on the bass. Or no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Brown Mark on the bass. Brown of Mark. That's <laughs> Brown Mark as opposed to Brown White Mark. Mark man. <laughs> That's what you leave and in your shorts, man. on guitar. <laughs> and one poop joke for the night. We have, we have a brown mark on the bass. We got seven fucks, one poop as long joke. As, it's not, as long as it's not a brown note. Do you know about the brown note? That note that makes you shit your pants? Oh, God. It's a real thing. Look it up. Really? It's, oh. it's, I swear to God, it's real. The brown oh. note research it look up brown note, brown <laughs> note. <laughs> so rounding all this out is was jill jones a backing singer who was also part of the lineup for the 1999 album and the following tour 
And uh, speaking of the 1999 tour, um, after it was over, Dickerson left the group for religious reasons. And I could see... Religious reasons. That's the best... <laughs> that like, is yeah, the best reason. There's like, just a little bit, a bit too much sex. And I can't do it, man. Here. I gotta go True. repent. It's I'm too just much. feeling really, really guilty about how I'm going to confessional like every week. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much, too much head, too much Glockenspiel. I can't do it. <laughs> too much. Sister. So, according to the book Possessed, The Rise and Fall of Prince. Uh, the author Alex Hahn says that Dickerson was reluctant to sign a three-year contract and wanted to pursue other musical ventures. Can I can so. I tell you guys? Can I just interject real quick and tell you what the twenty-seven instruments are? Do you want to know? What's that? Do it. Do right. it. Twenty-seven. So there's, okay, go. Get ready. So there's the electric guitar, the acoustic guitar, the bass, the bass synth, the singing bass. The fuzz bass, the electric piano, the acoustic piano, the mini moog, the poly moog, the arp string ensemble, the arp pro soloist. I don't know what this shit is. The Oberheim four voice, the clavinet, the drums, the syndromes, water drums, slapsticks, bongos, congas, finger cymbals, <laughs> wind chimes, <laughs> orchestral bells, oh, fuck's a finger wood symbol. blocks. <laughs> You don't know finger. It's what the um, belly dancers do. The oh, it's almost like a castanet, but with a little. Uh, the little yeah, they're little. It's yeah. Like, like those, tiny little symbols. It's like the <laughs> it's tiny it's little. Like, it's like the monkey, like that does a symbol. No, clap. it's on no. your fingers. It's literally finger symbols. Oh, it's got okay. a little band, and you go like this. Um, okay, the finger symbols, the wind chimes, the orchestral bells, the wood blocks, the brush trap, the tree bell, hand claps, and finger snaps. Those aren't fucking instruments. You can't say hand claps yeah, they're and stretching finger snaps. It there. I feel like we could just combine all those basses and drums into one category. We kind of <laughs> like, could. And guitars. Yeah. Just and say guitars. The... Yeah. Or basses. But really, hand that's claps a... and finger snaps, I don't know about that. Prince, but, okay. I love you, but that's a fudge list, man. That's, that's a, a, that's a little, list. That's a little much. Yeah, that's right, like 12, continue. maybe. <laughs> Sorry, Ed, go ahead. All right. So anyway, according to uh, Prince's former manager, uh, Bob Cavallo, in the early 1980s, Prince required his management to obtain a deal for him to star in a major motion picture. And I think we can all see he already what's wrote coming it, here. But it didn't, didn't he already write it at that point? Um, I'm a little fuzzy on that fact. I think he did. He I think he had already written, already it, written it. I think he wrote it before his first album or at the time of his first or second album. So anyway, this is a guy that, I mean, he wasn't, you know, hasn't achieved the level he was, he was getting pretty, pretty famous at that time, but he wasn't exactly what I would call a superstar yet. Correct. No, not yet. But despite all that, um, they gave it to him, you know, you know, and this, uh, yeah. Sorry, Ed, but going back to what you said before, Sailor, I think it's his management that's doing this. He's got great management. I think you're absolutely if you, right. If you think about the time of this in 1984, yeah. Yeah. the amount of artists that you could have approached to do a major motion picture. Oh, right. Right? Yeah. 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 And, and the money they slapped down for this shit, yes. too? Yeah. Huh. So I think he's got the right people. I think you're absolutely which right. Which is a I rarity right. at this time. It, oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, although something goes wrong at some point, but yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get there. 
So, of course, this resulted in the 1984 film Purple Rain, which starred Prince, and it was loosely autobiographical. And, of course, that, along with its soundtrack to the film, was the studio album of the same title. It sold more than 13 million copies in the U.S. and spent 24 consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. And the and movie was a it was a hit. Yeah, a safe hit to say this office. propelled Prince into that superstardom uh, category that he was lacking before. Um, and in fact, the film got him an Academy Award for Best Original Song Score, and it grossed over $68 million in the U.S. And, um, of course, the, the biggest hits on the uh, album were When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy, and, of course, the title track. Um, Let's Go Crazy reached number one and title track reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100. And at one point in 1984, Prince simultaneously had the number one album, number one single, and number one film in the United States. (laughs) And it's considered considered to be um, one of the greatest musical films of all time now. Because it's a snapshot in time. Oh, oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this was the first time a singer had ever achieved a feat like this. And uh, Purple Rain, according to our friends at Rolling Stone, is ranked 72nd in the 500 greatest albums of all time. It is also included in the list of Time Magazine's all time 100 albums. And um, the budget, the budget was check this out for this unknown kid. The budget was $7.2 million. Holy what crap. in yeah, the they, absolute fuck? They made a big bet on this guy. <laughs> but they it grossed yeah, it 70. Off. 3 million. 70. 3 million. Yeah, it paid off. 70.3 million. It paid off, yeah. 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 I mean, he I was mean, on, that was just he initially was on stage at the Oscars. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. this album also brought with it um a shot that would be heard around the recording industry for many, many years to come. Um, This is what would come to be known as probably Prince's most infamous song. Um, After Tipper Gore, if you're not, don't uh, know who Tipper Gore is, you probably recognize the last name Gore. She -hmm. is the wife of once Senator Al Gore. Um, she heard her 11-year-old daughter, Karina, listening to Prince's song, Darling Nikki. <laughs> another super wholesome G-rated song. Yes, another one of Prince's song, which is notable for its sexual lyrics and uh, references to masturbation. Uh, so she ended up founding the Parents Music Resource Center. And for those of you who weren't around at the time, this is back before we had that um, parental advisory li- uh, labels on albums that you see are now ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. This is what started it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Prince. And um, yeah, then that was where the big battle for music censorship really began. Oh, um, was right there. Yep. So yeah, so now that's pretty much Darling and Nikki. That's what it's known for now rather than it's it standing on its own merit oh that's the song that uh, so do you want to hear the songs that were the filthy 15 because that's what they called it oh yes is this from so the time period 
No, this is this is what he's talking about. This is okay. literally these songs are called the Fil- Filthy Fifteen, and this is what the P. This is how the PMRC founded itself. So here's the songs. Number one is Prince with Darling Nikki. Lyrical content problem: sex slash masturbation. <laughs> two, Sheena Easton, Sugar Walls. Which guess who wrote that? Prince. Lyrical uh-huh. content problem: sex. Judas Priest, Eat Me Alive. Sex slash violence, vanity, strap on Robbie baby. <laughs> Sex, <laughs> Motley Crue, bastard, violence and language. ACDC, let me put my love into you. Sex, Twisted Sister, we're not going to take it. Violence, what? get the fuck out of here. That's so stupid. Madonna, dress you up. Sex. Wasp, well. <laughs> this is 85, right? 85 yeah yeah so wasps fuck fuck like a beast which they had to call animal (laughs) (laughs) sex language violence (laughs) deaf leopard high and dry drug and alcohol abuse merciful fate into the coven the occult oh my god black black sabbath trashed drug and alcohol use mary jane girls in my house sex venom possessed the occult and cindy lopper poor cindy lopper she bop Sex and masturbation. <laughs> she get the fuck out of here. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going and uh your honors? I'd also like to bring week. up Shebop as another problem song that we have because <laughs> Cindy Lover is singing about masturbation and we don't want the children to learn about I don't know I'm talking like I love, queen, but I, love how Julia Ch- I didn't know Julia Child was on the committee. <laughs> <laughs> she I was. Love- I love Merkel Fate into the coven like witchcraft was a thing in 1985. Like we're in the fucking crucible, you know? <laughs> She's a witch! Burn her at the stake! Oh, God. I know we're like My... 500 years past that. Like, Seriously? The occult. Ooh. Oh, fuck me. They're worshipping the devil! Burn them alive! <laughs> All right. Well, there's another whole rabbit hole. We could we could do an entire episode on music. Oh my god! I know we've we talked should, about it. We should we but, should do uh, an episode on the PRMC and see if we can get our buddy D Snyder to come on the show. We should, dude. We should. Do it. They'd be the perfect guest, him. especially we now know, that he's in lockdown. We know he's li- listening. So yes, D. So anyway, in ni- 1985 would be another. Uh, significant year for prince um he just he announced he would discontinue live performances and music videos after the release of his next album and his next album was around the world in a day which did did well it held the number one spot on the billboard 200 for three weeks and we got the singles um raspberry beret which is another one of his more popular songs and uh pop life reached number seven i love that song and then going on to 1986, his album Parade reached number three. So we starting to slip here. Uh, reached number three on the Billboard 200 and number two on the R&B charts. <laughs> but the first single, Kiss, this was another, I love oh this, another God. song. I love this song, a giant totally. song. Yeah. Whenever yeah. I hear the song, I automatically go to the video. And <laughs> yeah. this was great. And the video was choreographed by Louis Falco, reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100. And... um. In the same year, the song Manic Monday, written by Prince, I did not know that, and recorded yes. by the oh, band. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk number about two the on the Hot wrote. 100 chart. He wrote so many hits for other people. Okay, and here, here's the 
unfortunate or funny thing, um, depending on how you look at it. His next film, um, Under the Cherry Moon. I love uh, that movie! Prince directed and started the movie. Um, the, although the Parade album went... The Parade album, uh, which served as its soundtrack, went on to go platinum and sold 2 million copies. Under the Cherry Moon received a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture tied with Howard the Duck. Suck it. It made $10 million in the box office. And Prince received Golden Raspberry Awards for Worst Director, Worst Actor, and Worst Original Song for the song Love or Money. Nothing wrong with Howard the Duck, okay? God damn it. That is the, like, look back on that movie now. How fucking totally creepy is that movie now yeah i've never seen it now i've got to go what? see it though oh you it. have to see it it is it is really it does not age well let's just say that <laughs> at all not like purple it's rain huh? fucking weird oh my god i mean was the it whole could thing you describe it as a more conceptual type film or was it no she legitimately is fucking a duck <laughs> uh Wow, that's oh, pretty ironic that Howard the Duck was the <laughs> other uh, raspberry movie. But he's a Marvel. He's a Marvel character. That's why I would defend. The... I would defend Howard the Duck till the grave. I'm sorry. No, that movie is weird <laughs> and wrong. It's very wrong. Oh what, my god! What was, who was oh, the, okay. what was her name that was in that? It's it's wait a future, minute. Right? I was yeah, talking about uh, Under the Cherry Moon. Oh, oh in <laughs> under the cherry moon there's someone <laughs> screwing at fucking the duck. A duck. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm thinking like wait a minute what a coincidence <laughs> two movies about fucking ducks. <laughs> oh my god stop it stop it right now <laughs> i can't breathe oh shit Okay. Uh, So anyway, this is kind of marking the end of an era. Um, In 1986, Prince began a series of live performances called the Hit and Run Parade Tour. And after the poor, after the tour, Prince disbanded the revolution and fired Wendy and Lisa. Sorry, Wendy and Lisa. Sorry, Wendy and Lisa. And Brown Mark quit the band too. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Brown Mark. But keyboardist Dr. Fink would go on. <laughs> of course, Brown, of all people. Brown Mark was washed. And he... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Brown Mark. Love that name. <laughs> That's so stupid. I don't know why I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> Oh, all right, Matt. All right. Why don't you take it from here? So after Brown Mark was whitewashed, uh, the revolution, um, you know, they would, they would eventually disband, obviously. Um, But actually at the time, Prince was actually working on two separate projects. Um, The revolution album, Dream Factory and his solo effort, which was called Camille. Now I was going to save this for later, but I'll say it now is that this guy 
worked his fucking ass off. You could just look at his discography and all of the material he put out, whether it was released, unreleased, compilation albums. The guy toured album, toured album, toured album up until he died. And I think a lot of his contemporaries put in half the work, but got the same kind of fame. But and he was writing songs for other musicians. And he was writing songs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> writing, guy, producing, yeah. all of it. Yeah. The guy never took a day off. We're, we're going to see this a lot more as we go through this timeline here of him, you know, um, he said add, he wrote adding his talents. Uh, yep. He, he wrote, um, at, I forget how many songs he said every single day of his entire, like every single day he would write like a couple of new songs. I remember him talking to Oprah about it a million years ago. And so uh, they're, and they're all recorded. So, and he said he would want them released when he died. I don't know. Exactly. If that's so, ever gonna happen. so whether you're a fan or not of his music or, or anything that he did, you, you can't knock him for the work ethic. The work ethic was there and he was always looking to improve himself and put out material for his fans. So that's what he did. Um, so dream factory, as I said, with the revolution, um, actually, you know, as bad as this sounds, um, actually included input from all of the band members, not just himself. Um, and, uh, the Camille project, uh, actually saw Prince create this new androgynous persona, primarily singing in a sped up female sounding voice. Do with that what you will. But, um, I mean, <laughs> that it, it's great. It's great music. So whatever, whatever you say about it, it's, it's good stuff. So after Revolution, uh, Prince consolidated material from both shelved albums, along with some new songs, into a three uh, LP album to be titled Crystal Ball. And we're going to see this, too, as we move forward, that Warner Brothers actually forced Prince to trim the triple album to a double album. <laughs> like um, triples just a bit much. And sign, he was a more is more type of boy. And sign Oh the Times was released in 1987. Um, Dude, it's, it's talk funny. about yeah. being, but talk about he's almost, I think, falling out of favor. And then boom, you drop that shit and you're just fucking dominating again. That was insane. I don't know if anybody else thought this, but I also think that. You know, I don't know exactly what was going on in the music landscape of 1987, but maybe the album title was kind of a knock on Warner Brothers, you know, like sign of the times, you know, like, you know, Warner Brothers trying to control everything, you know, I don't know. Do um, that what you I will. Think, well, <clears throat> well, I think we were was, also in the like the height of the Cold War. Yeah, and there was the, the, crack epi- the crack epidemic was a and big AIDS thing. There, and AIDS was a, becoming and a big thing. It was a and, bad time in the world. Yeah, there's um, a lot of big stuff going on socially and politically. <clears throat> uh, so at the time you had uh, With or Without You by U2, um, I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. Um, what else? You had Tonight Tonight. Uh, was that a... Just, Collins. It, it was just Phil, right? Himself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you had, oh my God, remember Spanish Fly Head to Toe? <laughs> do you remember that song? Wanna love you from head to toe. Yeah, exactly. Head to toe. You have to do with that toe. Um, Dirty Dancing. Uh, oh, and, yeah. 1987. <clears throat> yep. Yep. And uh, Whitney soundtrack. also had Didn't We Almost Have It All? She was kind of dominating the charts. Um, Richard Marks was re- had his big hits. Beverly Hills Cop 2 had just come out. That was all over the 
um, radio is this love from White Snake, um, another oh, mega yeah. hit, huge yep. huge hit. Um, what else would be? <clears throat> Let me see. What else? What else? Who's that girl by Madonna? Um, Streets have no name because it was Joshua Tree. You know, yeah, that was yeah. eighty-seven. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think that uh, you probably. I th- I really think he was the sign of the times. I I, th- I think that's what he was writing about. Okay. Uh, anyway, this album peaked at number six. I mean, as it should have. Um, he did another duet with Sheena Easton. Now we mentioned Sheena Easton a couple times already. For me, anyway, personally, when I think of Sheena Easton, I always think of her as singing a James Bond theme song, which she did in 1981 for your eyes only so as we move on obviously he goes on tour because this is what prince does album tour album tour um you know and we have another movie pop up after this uh sign of the times name of the movie released in november of 1987 and you know it obviously did not live up to the success of purple rain but it did outpace its you know, predecessor under the cherry moon, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. So now we move on and we come to the black album. No, not the Metallica black album <laughs> or the spinal tap black album, but <laughs> Prince's black album. Uh, and this is very interesting because we see Prince move into experimenting with different forms of, you know, I guess different musical genres, if you would say, you know, there's some hip hop on this album, uh, albeit with his normal sound. Um, and, you know, it was released by Warner Brothers uh, as a limited edition 1994, but it never it had a very limited release upon its original run. And it was very instrumental, very R&B, but uh, not a, not an album that Prince was very high on himself. And then after that came Love Sexy, 1988. Another thing you're going to realize about Prince is that there is a, an immense amount of material, an immense amount of studio albums that he released. So Love Sexy, um, you know, we reached number 11, obviously not his highest charting album, but <laughs> again, very successful. So now we go to 1989. And of course, one of my favorite movies of all time, still one of my favorite movies of all time. The original Batman movie. Tim Burton directed, Michael Keaton starred. The original and the, the original. only Batman for me, for movie, oh, that come is. On. For we movie. Have, we'll have a whole. For a movie? Seriously? Yeah, fuck all the other Batman. They're stupid. Oh my God. Now you're, now you're just saying Batman as the character, not necessarily the franchise or the movies themselves, right? They all stuck after this. This is it. This is the only okay. one. Yay. So you're putting this the bed. This is the one Batman to rule them all. Okay. So Heath Ledger's mm-hmm. Joker doesn't garbage do anything. For- what garbage? Garbage. Oh my God. Caesar Romero all the way, right? Caesar Romero. <laughs> Caesar yes! Romero, man, dude, it's hot for me. I love. There's ja- only one Joker. There's only one Joker ever, and he did it with perfection. Are you talking about Caesar or fucking- Jack? Jack. Oh. Jack, please. Right. You know Jack. Nicholson. You know Jack was all right. Jack is Jack. We all agree with that. I love Jack, yeah. mm-hmm. but he was the biggest dick during that whole process. Whatever. He's a you dick. Who cares? 
I don't have to know him. I don't know him. He's entertaining me. Who cares? It it, it all depends on what you want out of your Joker. Everyone has different criteria as far as what they want out of their Joker. You know? Okay. Yeah. I prefer a psychotic fucking dude. So, you know, for me, Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix were like the perfect Jokers. Oh, God. Bless America. Depression. (laughs) Depression. Depression. (laughs) Anyway. Moving on. Back on topic. And I, I, you know, I really didn't know this. Maybe I didn't know this, but I missed it. But, you know, he had recorded, you know, like a nine track album for Warner Brothers for this Batman movie uh, in 1989. And it actually peaked at number one, selling over four million copies. Uh, and the single Bat Dance um, actually oh topped the oh. billboard. <laughs> You could not RB escape charts. that. It's crazy. <clears throat> you could not escape that song for so. I mean, it was yeah, totally. He dominated once again, once again. You know what this reminds me of is that this has happened a few times where an artist will basically craft a soundtrack album for a movie. Remember when Queen did the Flash Gordon? Mm-hmm, yes, soundtrack. Yep. That's kind of what this reminds me of. Flash. Amazing. So, okay, we have Batman. It's 1989. Shit is changing in music big time. And uh, I'm curious to what you have to say about his next album. Very curious. So his next album. (laughs) Graffiti Bridge. Yes, Graffiti Bridge, 1990. Another movie. <laughs> yes, another movie. Yo, you know, good for him. I mean, obviously he has the name, the star power, but for most, I can't think of another musical artist who had as many film offers as he did, or actually put as many one, things to film. Yeah, this one lost a lot of money. This one lost a lot yeah, of money. No, this was a this was a pooper. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. <laughs> really? That tell, tell you something. Yeah. Oh, I saw, I've seen all his movies. Well, I mean, he's coming off of Batman, right? So it's like, if you doubted him before, then he was just like, hey, fuck you, Batman. What? So I can see him getting another movie deal because of what he did for Batman. Right. So I can, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. And of course, you know, with any Prince movie, he has an album of the same name, which, you know, <laughs> came out in 1990. Of course. Yep. And, uh, you know, God bless him. He had a lot of chart-topping singles for that. You know, they never reached number one, but, you know, they were in the top 10, top 20. Uh, but it was, as you said, Sailor, a flop. Only grossed $4.2 million. Um, So that was that. But Thieves in the Temple went to number one, the song. I was going to say, I'm looking at the track list here, yeah, and that's the, yeah. one I, the one song I recognize. New Power Generation? You don't remember New Power Generation? That song was all... It uh, it rings a bell, but Thieves in the Temple, definitely. Funny you say that, Sailor, because this marked the debut of his new band, the New Power Generation. Mm -hmm. And we had Mm -hmm. another album. All this guy did was make albums, man. Diamonds and Pearls was released in 1991. Uh, And again, Sigh. 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 Uh, But... Oof. Despite your size, again, four hit singles. 
Ugh, off Tarn this album. Topper. I know. I know. Yeah. I do. I will say I love Get Off. That's a fucking awesome. It is such a great song, like musically. I mean, forget the lyrical content of it. It's such a great song. I did not like Diamonds and Pearls. It was on MTV and the radio every five seconds. I thought it was just crapola and I didn't it didn't sound like him to me, but what do I know? I mean, this was this is a huge, huge hit album. Once again, he's back dominating the airwaves with Diamonds and Pearls. I just thought it was such a I don't know, to me it was just such a departure. I kind of agree with you on that. But uh I think at this point we can safely say that um you know anything that he puts out um is going to chart I think at this point. So um okay, so we are in 1992 and you know Prince with the New Power Generation released his 12th album. 12 albums already. Dude. Yes. I don't think Metallica fans will ever see a 12th album. <laughs> at the rate Let's we're going. <laughs> And here we have the what? Well, I mean, it it was controversial. It was cool. It was like every aspect of the spectrum. Yeah. You had the symbol on the cover of this album. Yep. Yes. Copyrighted as love symbol number two. This album picked at number five. No surprise because we're talking about Prince here. Uh, and obviously it was as we come to know it the combination of the male and female you know symbols mm-hmm. um but uh and then we're moving into the time when he is kind of in rebellion against Warner brothers so there were some kind of hits albums b-sides that were released but uh he he wanted to basically have control over the release of his music but Warner Brothers wanted to do their own thing. So kind the of story as story we've heard many times before. Yes. Oh yes. yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. So kind of contradictory to what we were talking about before, uh, yeah. you know, with his early career, but uh, he would officially adopt this symbol as a stage name. Yep. And um... so he, just to explain why he did <laughs> yeah. that, because I yes. think a lot of people still don't know. So many people at the time were just like, oh, he's so crazy and ridiculous. And no. it was it was the not that's reason. not why he did it. He legally could not make music under the name Prince because he still had to deliver a certain amount of albums to Warner Brothers. And they wanted to they wanted to take over control of basically everything and not and he just was going to lose his creative freedom. So he's like, all right, fine, I'll make you one last album. Here you go, motherfuckers. And now I'm going to legally change my name so that I'm making music under someone else's name and you can't ha- you don't get any of my music. And that's what happened. You know, and, and to his credit, though, I think at the same time, you know, most people saw him being saying like, oh, he's this fucking guy's nuts. He's changed his name yeah. to a symbol. Yeah. But yeah. doing it in response to Warner Brothers, but at the same time, kind of being creative with it as well. I think. Oh, you yeah. Have to give him credit for that. Just- yeah. Used his middle name, lads, done something else. Exactly. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he had a con. It was one. He's a walking concept. Like everything <laughs> is a concept to him, you know? Everything's a concept album, a concept movie, a concept this. So I think that's, yeah, for sure. So as I said before, this is when the Black Album was officially released. Uh, 1994, we're talking about. Um, but ha- it had already been kind of making its way around the bootleg world. 
because uh, now we're talking, like I said, seven years after it was initially released. So a lot of people had heard this music already. Then, but he did that because he had to still deliver a certain amount of albums. Correct. Too. Correct. So he was like, here, fucking take this. Take it and shove it. Uh, so we will finally have actually Warner Brothers succumb to Prince's wishes to release an album of new material entitled Come. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that, but I don't know. Because <laughs> it's, it's Prince. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> I know. Yeah. This guy has so much material. Uh, 1995 saw the release of The Gold Experience, which reached again top 10. Uh, 1996 saw Chaos and Disorder, uh, which was his final album of new material for Warner Brothers. So we can finally break off of that relationship. And then we get Emancipation. Then we get Emancipation, which once again, concept. Was, <laughs> yes, um, this was all right. This is a big album, and when I say big album, yeah, I don't mean like an hour. I mean, like three albums in one. I mean, like yes. three discs, as it were, back in that day, you know, 1996, 1997. Uh, a lot of music, uh, but again, certified platinum. Again, it had uh, a lot of hits off of it, as was to be expect- expected. Then we had Crystal Ball, which was another five CD compilation. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you know, when you're but, writing you know, a, a yeah. song every day, you got to get them out there. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I think yes. that's what happened. It was Point. all. Yes, he, it was. He is. He's, he was holding so much material back. And so and I guess, too, if you're the new label, what was it? EMI? They're just like, fuck it. We'll just do machine gun spray and eventually hit a target. You know, it's still going to be Prince's music. That's what it feels that's like. Right. It's ridiculous. I mean, he, yeah, every, so he, he didn't skip a year. I'm looking, like, looking through the dates. Um, He skipped a year there, like, 87, and he skipped, like, 2005, but he released two albums in 2004. I mean, two albums in 2014 and 15. That's crazy. It's nuts. And, um, you know, he would sign with another major label, Arista, in, in 1999 and release rave unto the joy fantastic while simultaneously or i should say maybe a couple, couple months earlier warner brothers actually released a uh, collection of unreleased material from him so warner brothers still putting stuff out from him and uh you know he's trying to move on with everything that's going on um because they're dicks they are dicks total dicks I so, think we can, Matt, I'm gonna, we can uh, yeah. speed up the right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah the that's okay. you're in my brain. You're in my brain. So I'm going to fast forward to personally for me as someone who's younger than Ed and Sailor. My f- favorite Prince moment and Prince performed at halftime Super Bowl 41 in Miami on uh, in February 2007. And this was, for lack of a better word, fucking amazing <laughs> epic epic e- epic thank historic, you historic yeah uh mind-blowing yeah never no one's ever gonna top that it'll never happen 
no one's ever going to top it. And it, it's a topic of debate for a lot of people about Super Bowl halftime shows and who should play, who shouldn't play. You know, and we saw it this past year. Oof. But I don't think that there will ever be something that could top this. Never. I really don't. I'll never say never, but it's up there for sure. Nah, I don't know. It'll I, never happen. It'll never yeah. Happen. I mean, this was the, the gods aligned. I mean, he he plays Purple Rain in the rain. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> that. That's what it does for me. Anyone who says, well, this show was better. Well, that show was better. Bruno Mars, this shit, you know, Katy ah, Perry, that off. shit. It's like, dude. He played Purple Rain in the rain, man. Like, in heels. In heels. In heels. Like, dude. Like, come on. And, and I mean, and he's actually really playing, and he fucking kills it. It's it's if every time I watch it, I'll go back to it every once in a while. It gives me chills still. Still. Oh yeah, it, hit, yeah. it hits you absolutely. Speaking of killing it, this is slightly off topic, but if you go on YouTube and search for, there's a bunch of musicians covering. Uh, the George Harrison song, When My Guitar Gently Weeps. Have you ever seen this? Oh, Prince's Jeff version. Lynn is in there. <clears throat> We're talking about um, uh, George Harrison's son is playing that. Anyway, Prince comes in at the end. And when he takes over, I mean, he takes, takes over. over. Everyone, it shuts everyone Look down. Look it up. Look it up. It's amazing. You Damn. know what else? He, another, like another a cover that he did that you have got to find this on youtube um he does creep and it is probably one of the most i don't know if anyone has like a spirit in them if that exists if that's a real thing you know like they're possessed by something amazing something otherworldly it's prince doing creep I'm oh I like, can't even like Radiohead creep like that's all yes yes wow Google that shit Radiohead lost their fucking minds and he didn't he would only do it he only did it live and someone put it up on YouTube and Prince took it down because he I, the whole discussion was really funny like he wasn't sure if they were gonna like it and they loved it so they put it up I mean they flipped out over it's amazing look it up. Will do. So not to discount anything he did in the 2010s, but we're going to fast forward to, um, you know, unfortunately the final days um, of a great career and a great life. So, you know, he had, I guess from reports had not been feeling well for a few weeks in April of 2016. So he had had to cancel some shows. He had to move some things around. And actually there was, uh, he had seen a specialist uh, for some influenza and some, you know, other related things during that time period. Um, and he had actually on one of flights on his private jet from Minneapolis to, I think, Illinois, Chicago, I think um, he was found unresponsive. Um, and he was actually given a um, some Narcan. Uh, to revive himself. Uh, and as we know, Narcan linked with, you know, opioids. So, you know, he had gone to different people for pain management and, you know, some addiction medicine people. And for all intents and purposes, you know, maybe you call it a character flaw or whatever, but he was kind of downplaying all this stuff near the end uh, that he had had some, some issues with this stuff. And, you know, really just, 
you know, aside from from that, you know, as you know, just health wise, really wasn't feeling that well, as I said. So he was actually he was meeting with this uh, gentleman, Howard Cornfield, who is a California specialist in addiction medicine and pain management. You know, I think it's it's kind of dangerous when you have a lot of money and you can have private doctors and, you know, maybe don't get the best advice because these doctors, you know, they're, they're, they they're tell giving you them no. a lot of money. Just ask Michael exactly. Jackson's doctor. E- exactly. Same yep. exactly. Same exact um, thing. So what, what happened was he died from taking what he thought was Vicodin, but it was a counterfeit painkiller laced with fentanyl, which is such a killer as we know. Um so he had, you know, he had he had really been having a lot of problems with his health and, you know, struggling with some addiction and people that were telling him to take this stuff because, you know, this will help with your addiction. But that was also an addicting substance because he was living with pretty significant pain for several years due to some of his health issues. So um, it, it's really sad because he was in indeed you know, they found out later that he was in a lot of pain living with some chronic issues. I think he also, um, didn't he also have like a double hip replacement or something like that? Like I he think, had some yeah, major he had a surgery. Few, he had yeah. a few surgeries. Yep. He yeah. had a few surgeries. Um, so he passed away sadly. And um, I remember very well the new, hearing the news and I just thought that's not possible. It's there's no, just like with Bowie. It's like these people are enigmas. They don't seem like human beings. They seem like otherworldly creatures. Um, it was it was shocking also because he was so young. He was only 57. That's so incredibly young. Um, so I can only imagine what, you know, what we're missing out on, which is just so sad. I do want to marry that um, mention that he was married twice um, and also had a child who sadly died right after it was born due to a congenital defect, um, which was also, you know, incredibly sad. And he carried that, talked a lot about that, about the pain that he carried with that, which was so sad. But um, I think this is a good place to kind of put a pin in it uh, and come back when we do the album battle. I want to talk a lot about um, the other songs that he's written for other artists. I mean, (laughs) he's a hit factory for not just himself, but, and I don't know if you guys know some of I, I think Sinead you'll O'Connor. You'll be so well, there's there's some more shocking ones that I didn't even realize, which is so amazing. Um so, but <clears throat> he was just he was an incredible, he was just an incredible dude. He did go through a period um in his career where he was struggling with his religion and changed religions and went through that whole thing. And, um, so, so yeah, so let's just put a pin in it right here and we'll come back to battle the albums and talk about, um, him as a songwriter and producer for others. Sound good. Sounds Sounds good. good. In the meantime, you guys can watch Howard the duck. Ed, (laughs) since you haven't seen it. And what is it under the, under the Cherry Moon. Under the Cherry Moon. I love that movie. I don't know. Um, and you can also watch, go on YouTube and watch him do Creep. It's fucking amazing. So we'll leave it right there and we'll come back for the fucking battle. How many fucks did I get in there? I think I'm like... You're like 13. I'm like 50. I am not. I'm, a, I'm up until like in the 40s. Come on. <laughs> There's still a far cry from Martin Scorsese level. Well, that's true. All right. Touché. Get us out of here, somebody. Anybody? Well, I got you. I got you. Don't worry. 
Thank you as always for listening. Listeners. <laughs> we'll do this again next week. As always, you can find us on Instagram at metal rock whiskey and at spirit of rock podcast network, the great parent company that allows us to do this every week. We have a lot of shows on that network. Go check out everybody else that's there. Um, we are the, um, what would you call it? The flagship show, I guess, but there are a we lot are. of other, yeah, we are, but we, there's a lot of other material on there, whatever your likes, there's other industry stuff, entertainment stuff. Go check it out, please. Uh, spirit of rock podcast network, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, go check it out. Uh, individually, you can find me on Instagram at the whiskey obsessor. That is whiskey. Save the E sailor. I'm Sailor. You can find me all over the place as Sailor Retro. And they can always find me on Instagram at Bergman Geek. Bourbon Geek, if I can talk. <laughs> Bergman Geek? <laughs> I'm like, who the fuck is Bergman Geek? Ingrid Bergman Geek. Is that, that's is that my your other, cousin? Uh, <laughs> that's my your other female hobby. persona? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what? Um, we will not be back next week with the second half of this show because, as I said earlier, we have our episode number 100 celebration coming up. So Correct. we will be yes. kind of giving you a little cliffhanger here. And then um, our intermission will be the 100th episode celebration. And then we will be back ah. with the album battle. Touche. Yes. All right. So, listeners. Woo-hoo. If you love us or even just like us a little bit, please hit that subscribe button and give us a review because it really does matter. And of course, tune in next week where we'll be back for our 100th episode celebration of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Fuck you, Rolling Stone. Yeah. Later, everyone. Hey, this is Sailor, and you're listening to a Spirit of Rock podcast network show. Find this show and many others at spiritofrockpods.com.